I'd like to invite you to uh, join me in the reading of God's word this morning. We're reading from 2 Peter chapter 3 and starting at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the coming, uh, sorry, to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Well, there's an observation that I've made about our modern world that I wonder if you too might have observed the same thing. Today, we live in a world that basically anything is at our fingertips. Information. Simply type your query into, a search bar, uh, into your search bar and voila, you have your answer. Food and drink. Cruise up to your Macca's drive through and... Bam, you've got your 10-pack of chicken nuggets with your mystery meat in it and your triple-layered cheeseburger. Anything you want. Not that I've done that before. <laughs> Holidays, with a few mouse click clicks away, you can book your next road trip or your next flight to your favourite holiday destination. And yet, this is the observation I've made. Despite how fast-paced our modern world is, our culture doesn't seem any more patient. If anything, we become the opposite, more impatient. Whether it's waiting in line to buy our groceries at the store or waiting for our food to heat up in the microwave or simply being in peak hour traffic, we can easily find ourselves in situations feeling impatient. Or is that just me? While in the world of marketing, there's a term for this. It's called changing consumer expectations. The faster, the better daily life gets, our human expectations simply seem to change with these improvements. We come to expect faster, better, stronger, simply because a new benchmark has been set. 
And it would seem then that in many ways we are hardwired then to be impatient, always wanting some things to be better and faster than they currently are. Well, in our passage today, as we do read and get into these closing uh, remarks here from the Apostle Peter at the end of his second letter, what we're going to find here is that what Paul shows us is what does it mean for the Christian to wait well? How do we wait well? To wait well in this interim period, in this present life in which we live. What are we waiting for? Well, as we uh, explored last week, as Dan explored last week, we're waiting for Jesus to return. For Jesus to come in and to judge and to save. To bring an end to this present world with fire. And to usher in a new one. A new heavens and a new earth. So as we consider these last few ver- uh, words and sentences here from Peter as he finishes his letter, what we find is four key commands that he leaves us with that God gives to his church. Four commands that show us what does it actually look like for us to wait well for Christ's return. But not only that, we'll be reminded of the gospel and the motivation behind why we would even follow these commands in the first place. And so what I want to do this morning is walk through through these four commands and see what it has to show and teach us about waiting well. The first command, if you keep your Bibles open, you'll see in verse 14. Uh, One translation, ESV, says it like this. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So there's the first command, be diligent. Or as the NIV says, make every effort. What does he mean by that? Well, the underlying Greek word has the sense of to be eager for something, to show a keen interest, an intense desire, or even an impatient expectancy for something. What should we be desiring as God's people? Well, if this actually relates back a few verses. If you read in verse 11, there Peter says and calls us that we, while we're waiting for God to act and to, to bring his salvation to, to completion. We are to live holy and godly lives. In other words, a mark that we're waiting well for Jesus is, there, is that we're actively seeking to live for Jesus in the now. Or you could say it in the negative sense. Or in the opposite sense. We could say that a mark that you're waiting well, that you and I are waiting well, is that we're impatient with sin. In this way, there's actually a right kind of impatience to have. It's actually right then to have a kind of holy discontentment with sin that remains in our life. Knowing that sin is actually the most unnatural thing for us. Because by design, the Bible's uh, narrative from start to finish is that we were made in the beginning, if you read the first few chapters of the Bible, were made perfect by design without sin. And time and time again, the, the, 
the Bible calls us to live lives that are utterly dedicated to God. So I wonder if you show, your life shows an impatience with sin. There's a danger that as Christians we remain comfortable in our sinful ways. And having a complete comfort in sin is a spiritually perilous position to be in. One that might call into question the genuineness of your faith. We should be impatient wanting to grow, having a desire to press on in our faith. Furthermore, to become a Christian in the first place does require all of us, any person, to recognize that there is a spiritual problem to begin with with us. There's something that we need God to deal with and overcome in us, our sin. But what motivates us, according to Peter, to live these godly with godly motives like this, to be diligent. Well, again, this command is closely tied to what came before, namely the promise of a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In other words, Christians are motivated to press on with godly living because that's where we're ultimately headed. I mean, maybe you can picture doing your sport training throughout the week, knowing that you're trying to get match ready for the big day. In John 14, when Jesus still walked this earth with his disciples, he said to his disciples that he was going back to heaven to prepare for a place, a place for his people, a place in his father's house. And so in that way, we have something to look forward to, something to be ready for, something to be aiming towards. Furthermore, verse 12 gives us further motivation, giving us the startling truth that godly living leads to a hastening of Christ's return, or speeds its coming, as it's said in the NIV. This shows that our actions actually make a very real difference as God works out his salvation plan through his people. As reform-minded Christians who are big on God's sovereignty, we must never also forget that we're equally made responsible agents for our actions. Exactly how this works together is somewhat a divine mystery, but both are clearly taught in Scripture. The way we live matters. Just like our prayers really matter. For the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, Jesus wouldn't be teaching us to pray like that unless he really meant it. They're not just wishful words, wishful thinking. They're actually prayers that make a difference. God wants us to pray for his kingdom to come. In a similar way then, it would seem that in verse 12, Peter is teaching us that how we live as Christians really makes a difference and actually hastens the coming of Christ's return as we dedicate our lives to him and as the gospel goes out into the world. Pursuing godly living as, uh, as God works out his salvation plan through his church. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I, I find that astonishing. And such a privilege and how humbling that God would work 
his plan through his church. The next command comes in verse 15, where he says, bear in mind. What are we to bear in mind? Well, Peter says there, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Again, what is Peter getting at here? What is he teaching? Well, once again, it relates back to a few verses earlier. I'll read again from uh, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3. He says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. As you saw last week, these verses teach that God is actively working out his plan of salvation in the world through his eternal word. Every day the gospel is going out. Every day presents another opportunity to repent and believe in Jesus before that final day of human history draws near. Similar to Peter's opponents in his day, today we live in a society that often believes the very same thing or actually disbelieves the same thing. Disbelieving that there really is a God at work in the world. A God who came to earth in the person of Jesus. A God who will return again one day to judge and save on the last day. But God says to his church, bear in mind. Bear in mind the the fact that given that Jesus has not returned yet, is evidence itself that God is being patient and is still at work in the world. There's still time to be saved, Peter's saying. For us as Christians then, waiting well means seeing this as God's mercy and compassion towards the world and towards humanity. And for us it means being patient in response to his patience that he's showing. As Christians, it's easy to kind of get bogged down in our Christian journey. Sometimes we might even feel like it's kind of too much to keep up this fight of faith. Maybe you're here today and actually feel that way yourself, feeling like you're at the end of your tether. I mean, why can't Jesus just come today might be the cry of your heart. Maybe you even do have a holy discontentment with your life maybe you do see your own sin and the sin of others and the broken world and it gets you down and you long for it all to be over for for Jesus to come to finally come to a place of rest and complete peace where you won't feel the need to keep on fighting in these times God calls you to remember the bigger picture to have spiritual eyes to see things from God's perspective rather than from your own I think as people in our self-centered ways it's it's easy for us to kind of have tunnel vision being consumed with our own individual circumstances but God says look up see my bigger plan in action 
And so this is really a challenge for us not to be self-centered, but to be others-focused. Having a patient attitude towards the troubles of today, whatever they may be. Knowing that every day that passes without God returning means more people get to spend eternity with us. And more people who will sing God's praises forevermore. I mean, is that a truth that you're willing to keep front of mind this week as you go about your week and whatever perhaps you've gone through this past week? Peter's third command comes in verse 17. There it reads, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Or be careful, as it says in the ESV. So why why be on your guard? Well, as we've learnt throughout our series, Peter has warned God's church of the ongoing threat of false teachers and false beliefs. He's warned, saying, stick to the gospel. Stay true to the truth. This command, then, is based on the truth that evil really does persist in our world. In this way, Peter gives us a sober outlook for the present state of human affairs particularly in relation to the deceitfulness of sin. Evil and sin, then, is not some impersonal force that's just out there somewhere in the world. Rather, the Bible is consistent and sober in its assessment of the human heart. For example, if you read in in Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3 there, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. I mean, that's a pretty bleak picture of the human heart in its sin. These verses teach that to be a Christian then, As I said earlier, we need to be able to acknowledge that. You need to be able to acknowledge that about yourself. And that's not really a message our world today wants to hear. Uh, Here in the West, we don't want to hear that there's something fundamentally flawed about humanity at the deepest level. That's really offensive. Some people would say that's even harmful to say that. But it's actually the most loving thing to point that out and then point others to Jesus. And thankfully for all God's people who do accept the gospel, God has allowed you, as Peter says in the first chapter, to become partakers of the divine nature, to be made anew from the inside out. Or as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, from verse 17 to 18, he There he calls us a new creation. Therefore, says Paul, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, and through Christ, uh, and who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. I mean, it's just some wonderful truths there about the work of the gospel in the human heart. 
But this, all this doesn't mean that you and I can, ought to become complacent. Indeed, an outward sign that we truly are a new creation in Christ is that we will guard against sin and error, against lawless ways. Take care, be on your guard, says Peter, lest you fall into sin and error. A part of waiting well then means keeping your own heart in check, recognizing the deceitfulness of your own heart, knowing that like everyone else around you, you're prone to the same thing and that there are times where part of you wants to find temporary satisfaction and gratification in sin. I wonder if you this morning have this spiritual self-awareness about yourself to perhaps recognize these tendencies. In the context of church community and walking with others in our faith together, are you willing to address these things that you recognize in yourself? Or are you failing to keep guard over your own heart and seek out Jesus for help? Our last command comes in verse 18, where Peter says, Grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This brings us full circle in our uh, series through Second Peter. If you remember, the, the letter opened in chapter 1 verse 2 where Peter opened his letter with the desire to see fellow Christians grow in their experience and knowledge of God's salvation. Throughout Second Peter, time and time again, Peter has affirmed that God's grace and knowledge of Jesus is not our doing. <coughs> Excuse me. It comes to us through the truth of the gospel. Grace by its very nature is God's unmerited favor towards us. It is not something that you and I deserve. For our, in our sin we deserve the opposite, God's judgment and justice. Nor is it something, God's salvation, something that we can achieve ourselves. It is entirely God's doing. God was the one who sent his son into the world. God was the one who ordained his son to die on the cross. God was the one who raised Jesus from the dead so that all who believe in him can be forgiven of their sins and receive eternal life. God was the one who sent forth and poured out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and continues to do so today. God is the one who gifts you and all who believe with the gift of faith and in the desire and ability to repent of your sins. And indeed, it's God who continues his work of salvation in every Christian, steadily growing us up into oaks of righteousness, as Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 61, clothing us with the righteousness of Jesus, with garments of salvation, who cause righteousness to sprout up from the soul of our dark hearts. So salvation is clearly from God. God throughout the Bible is saying, I have a plan and I'm enacting it through my son. But now we get to this fourth command that I've mentioned at the end of the letter. And Peter says, grow. But if salvation 
and our growth in our grace and knowledge of God is entirely God's doing, how can Peter command it? Like the other commands we have explored today, Peter affirms once again that we have a responsibility to respond, to act. God has given you something, now do something with it. To respond to his work in us. In this way, God calls you and I to actively respond to his activity. Perhaps one way to see it is, uh, as Paul says in some of his other letters, in, uh, I'll just turn to Colossians just very quickly. In end of chapter 1, he says this. He says, uh, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I mean, that's just a wonderful way of putting it. Paul says it there. Even in Philippians, Paul says it like this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You see, both sides are together. God is the one who strengthens us, but we also respond and act it out. To wait well for Jesus' return then doesn't mean to be stationary. I mean, when you think of the word wait, what comes to your mind? Perhaps you might think of a doctor's waiting room or maybe sitting at a bus stop waiting for your next bus to arrive. But actually to wait well for Jesus is a very active thing. The picture of waiting well that Peter leaves us with is more like getting out into the footy field rather than sitting around on the grandstand. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, says Paul. The only question that remains then is, have you then, when it comes to the gospel, truly responded to his offer of salvation through it? On the cross, Jesus decisively acted. Have you acted by deciding to accept him as your Lord and Savior? The day that he returns, will you be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him when he returns? I pray that you would. Allow me to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this second letter letter of Peter that you've gifted the church. Father, we thank you for this timely reminder of the gospel and the urgent call to repent and believe in Jesus. Father, as we consider the future, as we Read about in chapter 3 here how you have a new heavens and a new earth awaiting all your people. Father, help us to hold on to that. Help us to know that your salvation is still working out and that we have a hope that is outside of this world, a peace that's outside of this world. Father, we, we thank you for giving us the strength, giving us new life giving us all we need to wait patiently in this life as we await for that. Father, help us not to be complacent, but to be actively working, joyfully working. 
been given new hearts, hearts that joyfully serve you and, and find a, a joy and satisfaction in serving you. Father, help us to be diligent. Help us to constantly bring our hearts before you to to recognize, have the eyes to see the, the ways in which we still are yet to grow in ourselves. Holy Spirit, work in us, I pray. Convict us of sin. And Father, as we leave this place and as we are reminded of the gospel, I pray, Lord, that that, that would just shine from us. That as we live our week this week and interact with those around us, that people would notice a difference with your people, that we would have a genuine joy from you, a joy in your salvation, knowing that the Lord is near. Father, I pray for an urgency for your church that we would be urgent about the gospel, to see the lost saved, and in that way have the same heart that you have to see the lost come to know Jesus. We praise in your name. Amen.